Exodus 23. If you've been with us in our study through the book of Exodus, you know that we are now finishing up today this section in Exodus that we refer to as the Book of the Covenant. That's the name that Moses will reference it by in this next chapter we get to. The book of the covenant is the section that follows the Ten Commandments. And so God has gathered His people there at Mount Sinai. He's given them the Ten Commandments. And now uh, He is giving to Moses laws uh, in the book of the covenant that apply the Ten Commandments. And so essentially, God is teaching His people how they are to live according to His law and His word in preparation for entering into the promised land. He's teaching them how to live as a holy set-apart people. And so we've seen already how he's taught them about worship and and laws about uh, slavery and murder and retribution. He's taught them about uh, different punishments for different crimes, uh, negligence, and so on. And today, in this final section of the book of the covenant, God's going to come back to the fourth commandment. uh, Back to that commandment regarding Sabbath rest. And ultimately is going to establish for his people a series of feasts and festivals uh, that remind them of his provision for them and remind them of their need to find their rest in him. And so we're going to look at Exodus 23 verses 10 through 19 and out of reverence for God's word if you're able to, if you would stand once again as I read this word for us. Remembering again, God has given his word to Moses, who would then give it to the people. And this is what he says about the Sabbath and about these festivals. For six years you shall sow your land and gather its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat. And what they leave, the beast of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. As I commanded you, you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest, of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor." Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer blood of the, the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened, or let the fat of my feast remain until morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. If you would pray with me. Father, we come again to a section in this book that contains some things that are unfamiliar to us, some things that may seem a bit strange, other customs and and feasts that we don't celebrate today. And yet, Lord, I pray that through these things you might teach us this morning, 
that, that you would remind us of the call to Sabbath rest for your people and, and how that translates today in the church to, to finding that Sabbath rest each Lord's Day, that you might remind us of where it is we can truly find rest from. And ultimately, Lord, that we would be honest with ourselves today. Yeah, that we would be able to look at our own lives and ask these questions. Are we truly resting in you? Or are we seeking to find rest in other places? And Lord, if there's other things we are trying to find rest in, would you help us to find disappointment? Would you help us to see how they will fail so that ultimately we might find our rest in Christ? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This is not the, the first time we've come to this issue of Sabbath rest in our study of Exodus. Uh, we've seen this before, and as I mentioned before, when we think of rest, uh, usually one of the first things we think of is sleep. Uh, we think more culturally of, uh, of sleeping to find rest. And so I found it interesting in preparation for this sermon that I came across an article uh, that was published in the U.S. News and World Report where they they looked at the cost of a good night's sleep. And we often hear that phrase, well, I'd just like to have a good night's sleep. Well, they sought to quantify that and found that the cost of a good night's sleep is about $2,000. Uh, that included pillows and sheets. That included blackout drape liners. It included uh, $55 for a white noise machine and $200 for a year's worth of prescription sleeping pills. And, and the big ticket item, of course, was the mattress. Uh, in their study, they recommended a $1,200 Serta Perfect Sleeper mattress set. Uh, but that study led me to some other things. I wonder, I imagine some people will spend even more than that. And sure enough, they will. And in fact, people will spend an extraordinary amount of money for a good mattress set, it seems. Now, I'm guessing uh, these aren't in Bloomfield, but uh, you can actually buy a cluffed Peleus Royal mattress set. It's made with cashmere, silk, and wool imported from New Zealand. And you can get that at a bargain for $60,000. So buy a house or buy a mattress set. Uh, you can even go beyond that. There's another company, Vispring, that hand makes mattress sets in England. And those start out at about $72,000. Uh, but what I found when I looked for the, the world's most expensive mattress set, it was a company called Vividus. Uh, they make a mattress set in Sweden. They've been in business for about 160 years, which confounded me when I saw the price of their mattress sets that somebody might pay this. But, but this mattress set contains 440 pounds of cotton, wool, and horse hair. So, some of you have just been discarding that horse hair. You might want to hold on to it. Stuff a mattress with it because they get... $140,000 for a mattress set. Now, I think it's safe to assume no one in this room sleeps on a $140,000 mattress set. But let's play pretend for a moment. Imagine that you were in a situation where you found yourself sleeping on a $140,000 mattress set. I would imagine for some of us, we might not sleep very well. <laughs> Uh, we might uh, be paranoid that something was going to happen to this $140,000 mattress set. You know, it's just because the mattress set cost all that money, it, it doesn't mean that you're going to get a restful night's sleep on it. And in fact, I would imagine some of us in this room, we might sleep just as well on a $5 air mattress 
as we would on a $140,000 mattress set. And so we find that even though you can spend all this money on things like this, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to get sleep. And even if you get sleep, well, that doesn't really mean that you're going to get rest, does it? As I was reading through these price tags, I couldn't help but think about that encounter in Matthew's gospel where the scribe comes to Jesus in Matthew chapter 8 and he wants to follow Jesus and Jesus gives him this warning about following him. He says to him, foxes have holes and birds have the air, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And so here we see that the prince of the universe, when he comes, both in his birth and in his life, he does not lay down in luxury. In fact, what happens right after this, if you remember in Matthew chapter 8, is that Jesus then takes the disciples and they get into a boat and they go out into the water and as they go out, a great storm comes. And when that great storm comes, the disciples get very scared. There's waves that are coming up over into the boat and they're frightened and they're worried and they're stressed and they look over and what is Jesus doing? He's asleep in the middle of a storm. And so they wake Jesus up, and what we learn from that encounter is that Jesus was able to sleep, Jesus was able to rest, because ultimately Jesus had full trust and full faith in God the Father. See, ultimately what gives us rest as followers of Christ is that same thing. It's not the mattress set that we sleep on. It's not all these other things itemized in that U.S. News and World Report story. No, what gives us rest is trusting in God, is believing in the sovereignty of God, is following the example that Jesus set before us that even in the middle of the storm, we can rest if our trust and our faith and our hope is in God the Father and His sovereign plan for our lives. You see, God did not promise us a life that would be worry-free. God did not promise us a life with no struggles and no suffering and no turmoil. What he did say to us is that in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our suffering, we can find peace and we can find rest. And we can find that not in this world or the things of it, but when we trust in him. And that's exactly what I believe God is reiterating to his people here in Exodus 23. As he's preparing them to enter into the land of promise, he is reminding them of what he has already told them, and then he's giving them some additional instructions to, to press them towards this consistent reminder in their life that if they want to find rest, they need to trust in him. And that's where we'll look in this passage is, is how do we do that what does that look like and we begin with that first point in your outline this reminder that that true rest ultimately comes when we rest in the lord god is reminding his people that in order to find rest they need to rest in him and he does that by first reminding them of this sabbath pattern in fact here Rather than speaking first of six days and resting on the seventh day, he talks about six years. He's instructing his people when they come into the land of promise, they are to work the land for six years. But in that seventh year, they want to let the land rest. He's given them this Sabbath pattern, even for the land that they're going to work, so that they might remember that they can trust in him. 
that they're not trusting ultimately in the land for provision, but they're trusting in God to use the land for provision. He continues then to remind them of that fourth commandment, of that Sabbath principle. In verse 12, he tells them again they're to work for six days, but they are to rest on the seventh day. Of course, this goes back to the fourth commandment that we studied there in Exodus 20, to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. But it goes back beyond that because as we discussed when we looked at the fourth commandment, this whole principle of Sabbath rest goes all the way back to creation. Because there in creation, the scripture tells us in Genesis that God created all things in the known universe in six days. And then on that seventh day that God rested. And as God rested on that Sabbath day, the scripture doesn't say Sabbath there, but it says he ceased. He desisted. He rested. And that's the exact root where we get the word Sabbath from. And so for us to understand what it means to rest on the Sabbath, we need to first understand why God took a Sabbath. Why God rested on the seventh day. And it's not for the same reason that you and I need a Sabbath. Because we need a Sabbath rest ultimately because God has designed us to need rest. We need a break. But God doesn't need a break. God's not up in heaven today thinking, you know, I can't wait to get home to the couch and take a nap this afternoon. God doesn't need rest in the way that you and I need rest. And so we need to consider again that question, well, why is it that we find God resting in the Scripture if He doesn't need rest? The psalmist reminds us in Psalm 121, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God doesn't need rest or sleep like we need rest or sleep. God doesn't get tired. God doesn't get weary. So why does God rest? Well, as we discussed when we looked at that fourth commandment, principally we see that God rested because his work was finished. Okay, he finished that work and he rested. And in resting, God was being glorified from his work. He was receiving glory from creation. The scripture says that, that all of creation declares the glory of God. And so when God is resting, he is resting in his own glory. His work was done. But we also see that God rested, I believe, to set a pattern for us to rest. And it's not because he needed rest, but he knew that we did. And so he sets this pattern for man. And in this pattern, he instructs us to work for six days to rest on the seventh day. Or as we see now in the New Testament church, we actually start our week off with rest on the Lord's day. And then we work the remaining six days. We start our week out today, this Lord's day, resting in the Lord, which prepares us then to go out and to work in the world. And God not only sets this pattern here, in order to bless us, in order to glorify himself, but he sets this pattern so that we can be blessing to others. Notice there in verse 10 and 11. He says that we're to work the field for six years and then on the seventh year to let it rest, but notice a byproduct of that, that the poor of your people may eat. And he also says in verse 12 there that we are to work six days and rest on the seventh, and one of the byproducts of that is that your livestock, your ox, and your donkey might have rest. That the son of your servant woman, that the, the alien, the immigrant, the foreigner, that they might have rest as well. 
And so we see here very practically as God calls us to love Him and love others that even as we follow in obedience this Sabbath teaching, we are loving God and we are loving others. We are being blessed and others are being blessed by the Lord as well. And so we see this rooted in this teaching that the Sabbath principle teaches us that we are to rest in the Lord. And so just by way of practical application, I want to ask you today, Just consider this question. Are you resting in the Lord today? When you came in this morning, did you come into this church, this time of worship, rested? Did you come in joyful and delighting in the Lord? Did you come in not stressed out, burnt out, worried, overwhelmed, anxious? But but did you come in feeling this sense of, I'm really trusting in the Lord and, and I'm resting in the Lord? Or did you come in this morning, maybe a little of those things I just mentioned? A little worried, a little anxious, a little bit tired, a little worn out. In fact, as you just think about your day-to-day life, is it more categorized by just having this sense of rest and trust in God? Or do you start out and end most days with a bit of anxiety and worry and stress? As you're honest with yourself, you begin to answer that question of whether or not you're resting in the Lord. But let's get a bit more specific. How do we practically know if we're resting in the Lord? Well, Jesus said himself in Matthew chapter 11, that that command, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So Jesus promised if we will come to him, he'll give us rest in return. And then he says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And so we see directly connected to resting in Jesus is learning from Jesus. So if you want to know whether you're resting in Jesus or not, ask yourself the question, am I learning from Jesus? So do you know more about Jesus today than you knew last month? Do you know more about Jesus today than you knew a year ago? Are you growing in your knowledge of Jesus? And not just your knowledge of Jesus, are you more obedient to Jesus today than you were a month ago or a year ago or when you first became a believer? Is your life being transformed? Are you being sanctified? Are you growing more and more like Jesus and less and less like the old self? If you begin to answer these questions, you begin to see a bit if you're actually resting in the Lord or not. See, I fear for so many of us in the church today that that we know what it means to to walk an aisle. We, We know what it means to get baptized. We know what it means to make a profession of faith. We know what it means to go to church and go to Sunday school. We know what it means to be involved in activities of the church and and do various things. But, But my concern is we don't really fully understand what it means to rest in Jesus. And that for some of us, church is just an extension of the exhaustion of our lives. And we're worn out at work and we're worn out at home. So hey, let's just throw church on top of it. (laughs) I mean, honestly, ask yourself, have you ever felt like, man, I I just feel too worn out to go to church. (laughs) I I don't know if I can do anything else. I need to stay home so I can rest. And yet this is the very place 
This is the very institution that God has established through which we might come to better understand what it means to, to find rest. Now, Jesus goes on to say he, He's gentle and lowly in heart and that we can find rest for our souls. He says His yoke is easy and His burden is light. So, so do you feel your burden relieved? Do you feel like your burden is lifted by the Lord? Or do you feel increasingly overwhelmed and burdened with life? As you answer those questions, they can help you understand whether you're really resting in the Lord or not. And so what I want to do this morning, because I'm going to make an assumption here that for some of us, myself definitely included, we, we struggle to do this. I think there's some very practical applications in this passage that will push us and lead us towards what it really means to rest in the Lord. And we'll look at this one point two in the, there in your notes. In order to, to rest in the Lord, we, we need to learn to rest in His Word. When we rest in God's Word, we rest in Him. Notice what he says in verse 13 there in Exodus 23. Pay attention! And some of you just woke up. Pay attention! Yeah. Well, why does someone say that to us? I mean, how many times has someone said to you, hey, look, you need to pay attention here. How many times have you said this? Hey, listen, pay attention. Anybody have a child? Anybody was a child? You know, and we've all said it and heard it, haven't we? Pay attention. So, so here God, in the midst of giving His law, really at the tail end of this book of the covenant, He said, listen, hey, 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 pay attention to what I've said. Listen to my instruction. That, that phrase, pay attention, actually is, is one word in the Hebrew. And it appears almost 500 times in the Old Testament. It means that we're to watch, that we're to carefully guard, that we're to protect, that we're to save, that we're to retain, that we're to observe, that we're to obey. God, throughout His Word, is constantly telling His people what they need to know to live and to flourish. And then He's constantly coming behind that and saying, Now don't forget what I just told you. In fact, He repeats this over and over and over again. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. And least they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Joshua 20, 22, verse 5. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all His ways and to keep His commandments and to cling to Him and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. And then that, that familiar psalm I've shared many times, Psalm 1. How does the blessed man keep from the counsel of the wicked and from the way of sinners and from the seat of scoffers? He, he keeps from those things by delighting in the word of the Lord. Psalm 1, he says, I, I delight in the law of the Lord. On his law, this, this person, they meditate day and night. And so the blessed man, he, he meditates on God's Word. And we read that and we hear that. And I'm guessing for most of us, we think, I'm not quite sure how to do that. You know? 
I mean, I would guess for most of us, we hear meditation and we think of some Eastern religion practice. You know, meditation in the Far East is the practice of emptying out your mind. But Christian meditation is a process of filling up your mind. And what the psalmist here is saying is that in order to keep away from the counts of the wicked and the path of sinners and the seat of scoffers, he, he has to fill up his mind with the Word of God. He has to meditate on it. That, that word means a whole series of things. It means first, he, he has to listen to it, he has to hear it, he, he has to read it, he has to bring it into his mind. And then it means he has to ponder on it. That's also that word can be translated for meditate. He, he ponders on it, he thinks about it. But not just that, then the word also implies he talks to others about it. And so to meditate on the word is to hear it and take it in and think about it and talk to others about it. And here's the thing. We all know how to meditate on something. Just sadly for many of us, it's not on the word. Some of you practiced the art of meditation yesterday. You meditated on a ball game. Now, let me be honest. We meditated on a ball game. <laughs> well, what do you do? For some of us, when we watch a ball game, there could be a tornado behind our head, and we wouldn't pay any attention to it because we're just in the zone. Don't bother him. He's watching his game. And we're just focused on it, and we're watching it, and we're absorbing it, and we're taking it in. And if there's other people there with us, we're probably talking to them about it. Can you believe that play? Can you believe they did that? Oh, man, that's exciting. Oh, no, that's not exciting. And we have conversations about it. And those conversations normally extend beyond the game itself, don't they? So today, maybe some of your conversations were about a game that happened yesterday, and you talked to someone who wasn't watching it with you, but you guys are going back and forth. Why? Because you both meditated on the same thing yesterday. In fact, I'll go a step further. Some of us are so good at the art of meditating on sports that we can have a conversation today about a game that took place 25 years ago. And we can name the players and the numbers and how much time was left on the clock and how points were scored and who won and who lost. And we can give vivid details of something that took place decades ago. And God designed you and I to do that very thing. He designed us to be a people who can meditate. He designed us to be a people who can absorb information and ponder it and then talk to other people about it. But what we've done is rather than use that for something that will feed our soul, we, we settle for other things. Now, some of you right now, you're, you're, you're much more spiritual than the rest of us. It's not sports for you. But it's something. For some of us, one of the first things we do when we wake up is we turn on the 24-hour news. And that's on in the background all day long. <laughs> and before we go to bed at night, oh, got to catch up on the news. And we live in this 24-hour news cycle when what used to be something that we get on the front page of a paper or in a 30-minute news clip at the end of the day, now it's constant. And let me just ask you a question. Does it refresh your soul to watch the news? Do you find yourself sitting down in front of the news for a few hours and getting up and saying, my soul delights in this. What joy I have. Oh, he must have been watching the news again. 
Now, what normally happens when we're absorbed with the news, with politics, with whatever it is that's the news of the day? We're depressed. We're anxious. We're worried. We're stressed out. We're kind of on edge and we're nervous a bit. We think that everything's falling apart. See, God has designed us to meditate, but not in order to be stressed out and worried and frustrated and depressed and all over the place. He's designed us to meditate. Why? So that our soul might delight in Him. So so that we might walk through the the wickedness and the the fallenness and the worry and the anxiety and the stress of this world, but walk through it with a trust in something greater. And walk through it with a focus on who He is and what He's done and what He will do. And if we're not careful, if we use all that energy meditating on temporal things that bring temporal, temporal pleasures or give us temporal information that's gonna, just going to change next week anyways, the opposite of rest takes place. And we're exhausted. I saw a headline just yesterday. And the headline was essentially, it was something of this nature, you know, researchers are confounded. They can't understand why teenagers today are so worried and stressed. And guess what the article said? Youth today spend too much time on social media. Now, let's be honest. Some of y'all are beyond the youth categorization today. You spend too much time on it too. Because it's so important for you to know what somebody had for dessert on their third night of vacation last week. Can't go to bed without that little tidbit of information. But it draws us in. Why? Because we meditate on it. Because for some of us, it's the first thing we look at when we wake up And it's the last thing we look at before we go to bed. And it's what goes through our minds. And then we end up having conversations. Well, did you see what so-and-so said? Well, did you see what was going on with so-and-so? And then it becomes something that just we're meditating on it. And again, if I want to find joy and delight, it's probably not what Facebook's going to do for me. It's probably not what it's going to do for you either. But God has said there is something that can bring us joy and delight. And so I think just, again, just a a practical suggestion from the Word this morning is just turn it off. Just unplug. Take a break from whatever it is. Whatever it is you find yourself thinking so much about, whatever it is you're thinking about right now instead of this, (laughs) just take a break from it and open up your Bible. And I realize that this can be a little overwhelming, especially if you're not used to it. And I don't suggest you to start with Genesis 1 and read all the way to Revelation today or attempt to do that. I would encourage you to pick up the Bible and read the Gospel of John. John's Gospel tells us about the life, the ministry, the death, crucifixion, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. You want hope in the world today? Read the Gospels. You find yourself suffering and in despair and worried and overwhelmed. Read the Psalms. 
That the Psalms are full of David and other psalmists who are coming to the Lord worried and overwhelmed. They're in situations where they're not just paranoid because they watch the news that day, but they really have evildoers coming after them trying to kill them. And they're going before the Lord saying, Lord, I've tried to walk in integrity and walk upright, and yet all these people just want to destroy me and kill me. And then they come through that and they say, but, but my hope is found in you. My delight is found in you. My joy is found in you. Oh, Father, do not forsake me. I cannot exist without you. Friends, that's the encouragement we need in our world today. We need to be people of the Word. Pick it up and open it up and you will find rest for your soul. That's why if you notice, there's, there's such a connection here. Jesus says we can find rest, but what's he say? We, we need to be people who listen to his words, who follow his words and his teaching. Hebrews chapter 4 talked about rest. We heard that earlier. Did you notice in there? What's it talk about? It talks about the word, and they need to be rooted in it. And so here, God, as he's talking about Sabbaths and festivals, it's kind of like he just makes this, this pause in the middle to say, okay, pay attention to everything I've said to you. And now listen, because I'm going to say some more stuff. <laughs> Which brings us to this, this third point. We also find rest in God's provision. So, so we learn to rest in the Lord by resting in His Word. We also learn to rest in the Lord by resting in His provision. And that's ultimately what these three feasts remind us of. And so back there at Exodus 23, God tells His people that three times a year, they're, they're going to keep a feast to Him. So he's already built in their schedule, built in their year. Okay, uh, every week you're going to work six days and rest on the seventh day and, and enter into that Sabbath rest and that rest only comes from him. And he's told them every, after every six years they're going to rest the land for a year. And you can imagine that would take a, a bit of trust and faith that they could just leave that for a year and then come back to it. But God's saying you're, you're going to rest in me, you're going to learn to trust me. But then he gives them these three feast that they'll have throughout the year which essentially will continue to remind them to trust in him that the first feast he mentions is the feast of unleavened bread now that's one we've already talked a bit about and we talked about that in exodus chapter 12 that the feast of unleavened bread was a reminder to them during the passover that god delivered them out of egypt so quickly with such haste that there wasn't time for the bread to rise so God called his people, listen, get ready, I'm taking you on a journey, you're going to the promised land, but there's no time for the bread to rise. And so as they exited out, and as they remembered that deliverance, they celebrated this feast of unleavened bread. And every time they ate it, they were reminded, God delivered us with such haste. And that was an important reminder for them. Because remember, they were in slavery for hundreds of years. But when God chose to act, right then he did it. And some of you today, you are suffering and you are stressed and you are anxious and you are wondering, God, are you ever going to act? And friend, when he does, it'll be just like that. Because God doesn't need time to pack. God didn't need to put a to-do list together. And every time they picked up that unleavened bread, they're reminded, oh, God is our deliverer. And when He delivers, He will swiftly deliver. And they're reminded of His provision of the, for them. And not only that, He tells them there's two other feasts here. 
that there's a feast of harvest. Now that will come in further detail in Leviticus 23. But essentially what the feast of harvest was, is it was the feast of first fruits. And so as soon as the harvest started to come in, and there were those first fruits of the harvest, they, they would take those before the Lord, and they would say, Lord, thank you that you're providing these first fruits. And when they did that, they were trusting God that He would then provide the full harvest. So they weren't going to God saying, okay, God, we got a little bit here, but we really need you to, to fill in the rest. We really hope the rest of this works out. Now they're saying, Lord, thank you that this first fruit, that this, this teaches us to trust in you. And Lord, thank you for this. But oh Lord, thank you for what you're going to do when the full harvest comes. Paul makes reference to this in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What is he saying there? Saying, friend, you and I this morning, we can trust in the promises of God. And we can trust that one day, truly, all sickness and death and disease will be done with. That one day, all sin and effects of sin will be done with. Because one day, there will be a great resurrection of the dead. And one day, they're going to put me in a grave if Jesus doesn't come back before then. And it's going to be somewhere around here. And then one day, I'm going to come bursting forth out of that grave. Because God's going to resurrect me. And God's saying that in the resurrection of Jesus, that's the first fruit. How do you know that's going to happen, Pastor? Because it happened to Jesus. That's the first fruit. That's what we go to. That's what God's already done. And it points us towards the fullness of what He'll one day do. Which brings us to that last feast. God tells His people to have this feast of unleavened bread, this feast of the harvest, but then He says they're to have this feast of the end gathering. And notice here when He tells them to do that. He tells them to do that once all the harvest has come in. At the end of the year, when they'll gather from their field the fruit of their labor. And so this is the final culmination and the final celebration. And they stand with all that uh, all that God provided, they say, thank you, Lord, for what you've provided. And so over and over and over again, God is teaching His people to trust in Him and to thank Him for His provision. And friends, we don't celebrate these three feasts in this way today. We celebrate one feast. We celebrate the Lord's Supper. And when we do that, we use unleavened bread. When we do that, we're reminded that God delivered His people with haste and we're reminded of how God saved us with haste. That in the moment of His own choosing, He reached down in our sinful, messed up lives and He snatched us from the darkness of sin and He saved us too. But not just that, we're reminded of the first fruits of our salvation, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we can trust in the promises of God because we can trust in the gospel of Christ and we can trust in the resurrection. And we look back on what God has done in those first fruits. And then we look ahead to what? To the culmination of all things. To that final great feast. And here's the deal. There's going to be a day when you get more than a thimble of grape juice and a little chiclet cracker. <laughs> and I'll go even further. There's going to be a day where you get more than a pork burger and a pork chop sandwich. There's going to be a day when you and I feast at the banquet table 
of Jesus Christ. And we're not talking about prayer requests anymore. And we're not turning to the person beside us saying, well, man, I'm just so sorry to hear that. I'll be praying for you. And we're not mourning and we're not grieving. But but we are celebrating with joy and delight. We are gathered around the throne with those who have gone before us. And, And that is the feast, friends, that everything in the Scripture points us to. You want to find rest for your soul today, you're going to need more than an expensive mattress. You're going to need something infinitely more valuable. And here's the good news. It's available to us for free. Now make no mistake about it, it cost something. But it was paid in full by Christ on the cross. It does not require our good deeds. It does not require our merit. It does not require our best efforts. It is paid in full by the death of Jesus on the cross for our sin. And it is the only thing in the universe that will truly give us rest. And so if you want to find rest today that far goes beyond a good night's sleep, and, and far goes beyond a good nap this afternoon. If you want to find rest for your soul, you can only find that in Jesus Christ. And He calls you and me to come to Him so that we might find that rest. And so that's what we're going to do now. Where we're going to offer a time of response and invitation. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing. And as we do, we, we're inviting you not to make your lunch plans in your head. We're inviting you to just take a few minutes to meditate to think about what God's Word has said to you today, to to process through what you need to do about that, and as you leave today, to even talk to others about it. You know what? I need to do this. You know what? I need to do this. You know what? In response to the Word, that this is my prayer. Will you pray for me? It may be that your response today is you need someone to pray for you. I'll be available. Other pastors as well. Your response might be, need to be that you want to talk more about salvation and the gospel and baptism and church membership. We're available to talk about those things. But we invite you to be intentional about taking these next few moments to meditate on the word that we've read, to meditate on the words that we sing, to think about what a great, great salvation God has given us and to delight in that and to rest in that. If you would stand together and pray with me. Father, I thank you that in a world that that seems so obsessed with this idea of rest and at the same time seems so restless, I thank you that you've given us the means through which we can find rest for our souls, the means through which we can find peace in the midst of uncertainty, the means through which we can find strength in the midst of suffering. Lord, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us, that you demonstrated your love toward us in that way. I thank you, Lord, that if we will believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, if we will believe in our heart, Lord, your word and what it says and confess that Jesus is Lord, that we will indeed be saved. I thank you, Lord, that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. 
And so, Father, I pray for those who, who this morning, perhaps they're becoming aware for the first time that they are restless and that the only place they'll ever find rest is in you, Lord. Would you help them to see the dire severity of their own sin, that they might repent of it and trust in Christ and walk by faith with you? And for the rest of us, Lord, many who've made that response long ago, would you help us, Lord, to ask that question, are we truly resting in you now? Would you, would you help us to see clearly other things that perhaps are cheap substitutes that we're seeking to find rest from? Lord, would you give us delight and joy from your word? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.